Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terrilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. What's up, you guys? Roger Jessup here with the Utah House Doctors. So you just bought your nice new house, and what happens when something goes wrong or something breaks? We have you covered. We have vetted several contractors, whether it be from a break in your sprinkler lines or your kid punched a hole in the wall and you just need a handyman. You have access to these people by following our page, and these are people that we know and trust. Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I would just like to give a personal thank you to everybody who has left us a review. They are so kind. I seriously get like teared up when I read them. Um, One of my most current favorites is from a mom. She says that our podcast came out about when her first baby was born and she'd listen to our episodes on every walk that she'd go on. And she felt like she had like her best friends walking with her. So I just want to let you guys know that um, we've had a lot of people say that we feel like they feel like we are their friends. And I want you guys to know that we think about you guys all the time as our listeners. And we, I totally feel like you're our friends as well. So I just want to thank you for leaving us a review and let you know it is so helpful for us and our podcast success when you do leave us a kind review. So Thank you. Um, if you are willing to leave us one, you just go to search Find the Magic on Apple Podcasts, and then you scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review, and then you make sure you push send after you leave the review and give us a rating. Thank you so, so much, and hope you have a beautiful day. All right, everybody, I am here today with Jen Lumalon from Your Parenting Mojo podcast. She is the host and creator there. I adore Jen. We've had her on the podcast before. She has a degree in psychology and a master's in education, which when you listen to her podcast, shines through in her research-based weekly episodes. Um, So we're excited to have her on the show today. We are going to talk about ways that we can be aware of and try to tame our parenting triggers, the little things that um, bother us with our kids that we really need to turn in and find ways that we can recognize how we're being triggered ourselves. So Jen, welcome to the show today. Thank you, it's great to be back. Can you, for, for our audience who hasn't heard your first episode with us, can you introduce yourself and your podcast a little bit more? Yeah, so I host the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, and it's basically a resource on scientific research uh, on parenting and child development for parents who want to understand the the totality of an issue. And, and the way that I started was because I would get these emails from a parenting platform that shall remain nameless that said, uh, you know, something like five ways to tell that your child has a de- developmental delay. And I looked at it and thought... <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> quite, quite great headline designed to take you to one study that doesn't tell you anything about uh, what the entire body of research says, even if that study's results were valid right. and legitimate. Um, the, the, is this an outlier in the last decades of research on this topic, or does it confirm all of that research? So I created the show to be that resource so that parents can understand, okay, how important is this issue to begin with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how does this fit into our culture and whose culture does it leave out? And all of those things and then okay from there what what decisions do we want to make about raising our children based on this evidence or do we want to set this aside and say you know what I'm going to do things differently Mm -hmm. Uh, that is something I love about you and your show is um, that I feel like you go all the way around the issue and I really appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) I really do so today as we're talking about um, being triggered by our kids, what inspired you to deep dive into this? It was actually a comment that a parent made to me when I was starting to think about this topic. Um, she, she said, when is my child going to grow out of doing things that trigger me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was sort of the thing that launched <laughs> this entire exploration, because I think the biggest thing to understand about this is that these outsized feelings in ourselves don't come from our child's behavior. They come from inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so let's get super specific on the terminology as we're starting to understand this. When we describe, when we use the word triggered, we're actually using a word that has a specific context in, in the psychology field, and it refers to post-traumatic stress disorder. And it, uh, when you feel triggered, it's because you have experienced some kind of traumatic event in your past. And it was actually, this term was developed uh, with doctors who worked with patients who had uh, experienced war. And so they had been in a combat zone and they would come back and some, you know, a car misfiring or something would remind them all of a sudden of this traumatic experience that they had had and that that would quote unquote trigger uh, these memories and and a certain kind of feeling of feeling flooded where you just can't cope with what's going on in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so for for many parents, they have experienced trauma. Um, If we look at what's called adverse childhood experiences, which are um, some ways that, that psychologists measure the amount of trauma that a person has been experienced to and I would say it's woefully inadequate it doesn't account for anything related to poverty you know the conditions that often accompany that racism other things that should be included um, but uh, we see that about 60% of, of adults uh, who <laughs> who showed up at a clinic in in Southern California in the 1990s when this was being studied uh, had experienced this kind of trauma uh, but if you have not experienced this kind of trauma, that doesn't mean that your feelings aren't valid or, or uh, anything like that. It just means it's not officially being triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the actual feeling is very similar, this feeling of being flooded, but it's because it's not linked to trauma, we don't call it being triggered. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if we can dive into that a little more. So mm-hmm. is it is it often that... Um, a similar situation that's happening with our kid will trigger something or okay okay Yes. So, so, and then, so this goes back to where we were going before I started sort of breaking it down, Mm -hmm. which is that we assume, you know, the question from my, my listener assumed that this originated in our child and that if we could just get our child to change their behavior, 
Mm -hmm. then we wouldn't have to react in this way. We wouldn't have this feeling. And so everything would be better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think it's really natural to have that response because we, we're we're like, I've been around on the earth for longer and I was fine until you showed up and started doing this thing (laughs) (laughs) that pushes my buttons. And so the natural thing to think is, well, if you would just stop doing this thing that pushes my buttons, we wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't be yelling at you. So just stop doing this thing that pushes my buttons. Mm -hmm. But because these feelings originate in us, if we have experienced trauma, if we are being triggered, our child may, they may stop doing the thing that it is that pushes your buttons but probably next week they're going to start doing something else just because they're children. (laughs) And, and so we can try and get them to stop doing it, but there's always going to be this next other thing. If we don't see that these feelings originate in us and it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility to see that and to do something about that within ourselves. And, And honestly, I see this as really great news for parents because if you've ever tried to change somebody else's behavior, you know, how hard it is. And and so you could try to change your child's behavior, uh, but really the only thing that you can affect is your own behavior. And so that's why approaching it from this angle is so much more useful for parents because it is something that it's work that they can do in themselves that will have this profoundly beneficial impact on their lives. Yeah, and I think as parents, we often talk about here on our podcast is that gives you so much more um, of a powerful feeling instead of helpless when you're parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also often we see that the things that we are able to let go of internally sort of fizzle out um, (laughs) in our parenting, like the same pattern stops coming up when you're able to let go of it and sometimes Mm -hmm. not, but um, it's often that energy that are, our kids are picking up on and if we're talking you know you're very research based and and I think here on find the magic we're a little maybe woo woo sometimes but (laughs) I think that energy we put out our kid feels that and and they they their job is to teach us (laughs) I think and so sometimes um I feel like once I once I let it go my kid's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm done with that. I did my job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and I definitely see that as well. And uh, it's 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 like your kids can sense the things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I would also say that there can be an element of it of if your child is feeling like they need to connect with you and mm-hmm. they're not able to do that, maybe you're busy with something else or you're distracted with other children or whatever it is, that doing something that they know will get, get you, get your back up immediately immediately can be an unskillful way of trying to connect with you. They would, they wouldn't prefer that you're shouting at them. They would much prefer to have a a sort of loving interaction, but in, in their, the lack of the brain development that's still, you know, the the brain development that's still going on inside them, they they may sort of subconsciously think, well, I I need some help from my parent right now. I'm going to do this thing and they're going to be right over here. Right. (laughs) And I'm going to have that attention and I don't really want to have it in that way but it's better than not having it at all. And so, yeah, it it can be perceived as an unskillful attempt to connect. It's not always that, but some of the time I think it is that. Yeah, I think for sure it's some of the time it is that. So if we're talking about um, parenting advice here and how we can kind of turn the mainstream parenting advice on on its head, I think a lot of the times it's centered around what 
we can do to to get our kid to do or not do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, we're talking about um, what, how we can adjust our, you know, expectations. We can turn in and see what part, um, maybe not what part we are playing, right? Because this is not something we're necessarily doing, but what's underlying in our subconscious um, when we are getting triggered by these actions. So, so what are some things we can do as parents that to help us see um, the things that are triggering us? Mm. Yeah, so I am running a workshop starting on March 1st called Taming Your Triggers, and it really walks people through a set of, of steps. And, and the first step is to understand where these these feelings come from. Mm-hmm. And so we spend quite a t- bit of time digging into that and uh, and looking at the, the trauma-related causes. So things like uh, trauma that you experienced as a child, things like intergenerational trauma. We know that trauma is passed down through families through a couple of different mechanisms that um, it can be actually passed down through your genes through a, a process of epigenetics, which is um, how certain the expression of certain genes is turned on or off based on the experiences that you've had um, and also through parenting skills. So um, I, I first learned about the topic of intergenerational trauma through uh, hearing about a woman on NPR whose, whose parents had been evacuated from Vietnam during the war and had had awfully traumatic experiences. Her mother, they, they weren't married at the time, they, they met and married in, in the US, but her mother had been forced to, to leave a child behind. There wasn't space on the boat for both of her children. Um, her father had been married to somebody else. He got out to the States, he sent for, uh, for his wife and kids and the boat that they were on sank. And so they had experienced just incredible trauma and, and they would just be explosive with her mm. and throw things at the wall and just scream at her for forgetting her lunchbox at school. Right. And all of her friends and her friends' parents are like, why, why are you so afraid? You just forgot your lunchbox. <laughs> and she knew that, that this big thing was coming. And, and so we can pass on this trauma to our children through the ways that we interact with them. And, and that may have been a way that uh, this trauma was passed on to us. Um, our relationship with our mother can be a massive uh, source of trauma. Uh, for some people, it's the relationship with their father, but most often it's the relationship with the mother, just because the mother is often the person with whom we have the primary attachment relationship. And so, um, so when that is ruptured, when the mother's needs are paramount, when the mother isn't able to connect with a child, that can cause a lot of trauma in that relationship. And then there are also uh, traumas that exist related to our needs just not being met. And so for for the vast majority of us <laughs> who, who weren't lucky to, enough to have amazingly enlightened parents, the needs of children are just not seen. And, and if they are seen, they're so often disregarded. Right. And, and, and seeing that, living that on a daily basis where we, we have these needs and we express them and we get shut down. We get told that they're not important, that we're not important enough to have our needs met. That too is a form of what we would call small T trauma. It's not kind of big T trauma where you think of, you know, seeing somebody murdered or something like that, but it's small T trauma that compounds on a, on a daily basis and, and has an impact on us. Mm-hmm. And so the first part of the workshop really gets to understanding where do all these uh, feelings come from in ourselves. And for some people, just the insight into that 
is a massive, massive shift. Um, just, there was one participant who went through this and said, you know, I knew I had issues with my mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this wasn't a secret, but yeah. I had no idea how much this was impacting my life on an hourly basis and on the interactions that I have with my son every single time I talk with him. So I'm just writing down notes of things we we have to go back to. So, <laughs> so can you give, I know that um, in your workshop, this goes way in depth, but can you give just a small example of um, how we can, so for instance, I, I definitely have um, the small TE trauma mm-hmm. um, that I've recognized with my own upbringing with my mother, specifically in her her needs and her like happiness was Mm -hmm. contingent on if you know putting it on us like Mm -hmm. we were her lifeblood if Mm -hmm. we were the really the only thing that was in quotes good or right in her life you know everything else was going wrong and it was that and and still and luckily now as an adult I can s- disconnect from it but um we were the thing that if it was if if we were good and we were there to make her feel happy then she was okay um mm-hmm. but you know she was definitely um I was a parent for my siblings growing up she was an alcoholic all this all these sort of things where i felt that big weight of carrying our family so mm-hmm. using that as an example um if someone's recognized that then in their parenting um is it that they can just see perhaps this action that my kid is doing is triggering that trauma or is there a more direct way to break that down it can show up in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's very linear and sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. So um, if if you had these experiences, I mean, that, that's an incredible weight to put on a child. Right. And uh, so so it's possible that when a, a, a person who has now grown up and has a child of their own had this kind of expectation put on them and that they felt as though they always had to be the good child and, and they always had to be perfect and happy. You know, they had to look happy even if they weren't happy inside mm-hmm. to, to make sure their mother knew that they were happy and, and that thus their mother could be happy. Um, it's possible that a person who has been through that kind of experience may, you know, their child might be happy a bad day the child (laughs) isn't looking happy um, and and that may be very difficult for the parent to deal with and and they may find that that sort of direct mirror as it were of their own experience is the thing that uh, that the parent finds flooding or triggering depending Mm -hmm. on on the level of trauma involved Mm -hmm. Um, or it's possible that it's you know it's not such a a linear thing maybe there's evidence there's um, sort of the impact of intergenerational trauma is there as well and um, other traumas that we've experienced in our lives is there as well and these kinds of things uh, combine in us to mean that we we basically live our lives in this uh, more aroused state and that anything our child does (laughs) that is sort of remotely linked to something like I don't know making a mess or not being respectful or anything like that just kind of push 
pushes us out of our what's called our window of tolerance um, and so it doesn't even necessarily need to be linked to that specific thing but because we're living in the state of perpetual arousal we were just primed as it were to uh, to react in this way as soon as we get pushed ever so slightly outside of our window of tolerance and then we just explode yeah and we call it our patient's skin <laughs> here it, you know you can feel it getting worn down and for me um having some practices of mindfulness and mm -hmm. you know emotional acceptance where I think for me it shows up in this expectation of perfection and yeah. everything's clean and the meals are made and all my kids are well behaved and the triggers are when that's all not true which is every day <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then, yeah, so, so you're living in this state of perpetual arousal uh -huh. because you're, you're constantly being reminded of the mismatch between what uh, a good person does, right. <laughs> um, what your environment should be like for you to be a good parent and the reality that you're seeing in your life. And so, yeah, that's, that's a, um, a, a situation that is likely to push a person outside of their window of tolerance. Right. And when I'm in, you know, when I'm in a, uh, a phase that's very mindful and calm and all of those things I can see that you know like mm -hmm. I can remove myself and see it but when you're caught up you're tired or you know it's it's one thing after the the other your patient's skin gets really thin and that's interesting to see it as you know a little bit of trauma um, you can give yourself some grace when you can see it that way Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It, it, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's not your fault that this happened. Right. Um, but it is our responsibility to see that this is us. This is, this is not something our child is doing that they, we need to train them out of, that they will grow out of. It's something we can work on in ourselves. Right. So let's dive into, um, an example that, you know, a question we get a lot from listeners is that is triggering for them is, when our children are, are disrespectful in some way with their language or their actions, they're not respecting us. Um, can you break down that trigger a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting example. There, there's so much to unpack there. Mm -hmm. Because, well, firstly, again, if, if we were punished as children, okay, if we were spanked or hit or or whatever it was for uh, for being disrespectful towards our children, then we can say that we're being triggered by this. Uh, if if there was not a trauma related to this in our past, um, then we were not technically being triggered by it, but uh, we we do still experience we may still experience these feelings of being flooded um, by by our child's behavior. So. Um, so when we think about this, you know, this, this rings so close to home for me as, as an English person growing up in a house where please and thank you was certainly very important. Um, when, we, when we think about, okay, what does it mean to be respectful? Why do we place so much attachment on these words? And, and I'll just use please and thank you as an example, because I think that it's one that uh, sort of pushes buttons for a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the reasons for that is that, yeah, our parents were real sticklers for this and that um, if 
we didn't say those things, then we would be shamed potentially or humiliated or some of us, I I was not uh, hit or spanked for doing this, but some people would have been uh, physically punished for not using those words. Mm -hmm. And so what is it about those words? (laughs) There are actually people in some cultures who don't use the words please and thank you because they see that if if I'm asking you for something and I say please, that means that we're not close. We're not in a close relationship. Mm. We are far enough apart that I need to observe these social niceties with you. And so I don't want I want you to be close to me. I want to be in this intimate relationship with you. And so I'm not going to say please because that would indicate that we don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so in the in people mm-hmm. who live in those cultures, it's inappropriate to say please and thank you when you're in an intimate relationship. And but in our culture we've kind of given these words this massive weight (laughs) this massive power to um to signal what we think of as respect and so when we think okay well what is respect really um it's it's the definitions are sort of circular (laughs) in a way on this it's sort of a feeling of esteem that connotes respect and then when you look up esteem it's like well yes it it, it's all the 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 definitions themselves are completely circular Mm -hmm. um and and what we but what we generally get at is that it's something that we do to signal that um we are we have some regard for the wishes and the rights and the feelings and the traditions of others. And we can, we can think of please and thank you as a kind of tradition, Mm -hmm. but is that the only way we can show respect? And if we think about, uh, the, the ways that we want to show up in this relationship with our child, is it respectful to require our children to say these you know, basically random words, please and thank you to Mm -hmm. indicate their respect for us? Mm -hmm. Is it possible that they are showing their respect for us in other ways? Mm -hmm. Is it possible that forcing our child to say these, you know, sort of random, sort of meaningless words um, actually means that we are putting our relationship with them Uh, on the back burner and we're saying your ability to recite these words when I say it's appropriate to recite these words is the most important thing Mm -hmm. and the true connection that we have is less important than that is that the message that we want to send to our children and if it is then yeah we can I mean you can train a child to say please and thank you it's not that hard you you reward them you punish them and, and they'll they'll get the hang of it really fast but is that the relationship we want to have with our child. And if not, then the work that needs to be done to uh, work on the feelings that we're having in that moment when they don't say it is ours to do. It's not a child training issue. Right. <laughs> it's an internal work issue. And as you're saying that, I, you know, this is obviously probably not in the definition of respect that we're going to look up, but I thought, um, what a sentiment of respect if our child is coming to us with their big emotions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That they're showing us, I trust you enough, and in my mind, that's respect, to mm-hmm. to show you how I'm truly feeling in this moment. All these big emotions are welling up, and I have so much trust in our relationship that I can show you that. 
Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. And, and yes, that, that connotes true respect. Right. And, and, and yeah, and parents are, the first thing parents are going to say to this is, well, they'll never learn how to do it. And, right. <laughs> and society will think they're terrible people. And, and, and our children will learn to code switch and they will learn that um, in an outside relationship, you must say please and thank you. Um, and, and there are ways we can help with that. We can ask if they would like to say something to the other person. And if they don't say anything, or they turn away or whatever it is we can we can thank the other person genuinely for the thing that happened or the thing they gave us and that that modeling will show our child that this is an appropriate thing to do in this situation but yeah to to require it in a situation where we're at home um i think really uh sort of flies in the face of so much of what we're trying to do with our children which is to show that what true respect is is this willingness to show up in our wholeness in our vulnerability and and to accept each other and love each other unconditionally uh not just in spite of that but because of that right. <laughs> then yeah the training somebody that they must say please and thank you when they interact with us sort of isn't necessarily compatible with that right and i think that that uh little note there on modeling is the key i've seen this with with my own kids um the please and thank you um suggestion was one of the first you know respectful parenting um things that i looked into not requiring requiring this from your kids especially in social situations with other adults um and i've seen just through modeling my kids pick that up with age and Mm -hmm. it's sincere yeah and it's not just coming from an expectation it is they're they're sincerely saying thank you and i can tell when they say it that they mean it yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is when when you're training a child to do something, they will recite the words, but they're they're probably not necessarily meaning the word that they're saying. Right. They're saying thank you because they know that they're supposed to say thank you. Right. But there's no real sense of gratitude behind it. And and that's what we're going for, right? Right. <laughs> so what kinds of things can we do to feel triggered less often by our kids' actions? Yeah. So um, a a big part of what we work on in the workshop is creating space for a different kind of reaction, a different response. And this is, of course, after you've you've seen where your triggers are coming from and you've done some practices to um, sort of make those things have less of a hold over you than they mm-hmm. had until mm-hmm. this point. And then we work on creating space because when a lot of parents arrive at the workshop, it feels like there is no space at all between their child mm-hmm. doing whatever this behavior is and their reaction mm-hmm. uh it's just they a blink of an eye and and there's no way to choose a different reaction because there's no time because the reaction already happened mm-hmm. and so we really focus a lot on creating space in that moment and and we use mindfulness tools and we use trauma-informed mindfulness tools because what we can find is that when people who have experienced trauma uh, use mindfulness tools that itself can actually be triggering because mm. they may find that as they start to tune into their body things come up that are related to their trauma that are very difficult for them to handle. And so it's important for people who have experienced trauma to do this trauma-informed mindfulness uh, where you're aware of what can happen and you have tools to uh, to get out of it if, if that ends up being a problem. And, and so through doing this, we can create a space 
um, where instead of what, what I say is reacting to the child where, where there is no space, uh, we're now be able to choose a response to our child. Mm-hmm. And I've had parents say that, you know, I, 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 my child does something and it's like I have an out of body experience and I am above myself and my child and I'm looking down and I'm seeing myself yelling at my child. Right, right. <laughs> and I know that in 10 minutes I'm going to be repairing the relationship right. with them. <laughs> But there is nothing I can do in that moment to make a different choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we start focusing on that, we end up, we create just kind of a fraction of a second of space. And initially, it might just be enough to see, oh, yeah, I should do something different right now. And then we just do the same old thing. Right. <laughs> um, and and so that, that's sort of after after the point at which we have seen, okay, there, there was nothing I could do in that moment, which is, you know, the, the looking down at yourself, knowing you're going to be uh, apologizing. There was nothing that parent could do except, um, you know, see it afterwards. Now we're creating a fraction of a second of space. It's still not really long enough to make a different choice. And we're, we're doing the same thing anyway. We lengthen that out a little bit we can see oh yeah the thing I'm about to do is really not going to be helpful in this moment (laughs) and I just I still am not able to stop myself but that fit that pause is getting a little bit longer and when we focus on lengthening that pause and on using mindfulness-based tools to calm ourselves to ground ourselves we're not stuffing these feelings down we're not saying I'm not angry and through gritted teeth (laughs) we're we're sort of what psychologists call reappraising the situation and we're seeing that um, this is not an emergency that that these these feelings uh, were when we started feeling these feelings all these years ago it was to protect us mm-hmm. um, that we needed to be in fight or flight mode or in freeze mode where uh, we would it's sort of almost like getting ready to run from a bear um, or getting ready to attack the bear or just pretend, playing dead you know basically is the freeze mode mm-hmm. um, we needed those reactions to survive in this situation that we're in, but we no longer need those reactions today. And so when we create that space, we can see, okay, yes, I'm going to reappraise this. This is not actually an emergency. I can navigate this and 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 be honest with our children. We can say, I'm so angry right now. I'm going to take a deep breath. And then we're taking the deep breath. Okay. I know that you didn't mean to knock that vase over, right? And it was really special to me and I'm really disappointed. What what should we do? Can, will you help me clean it up? Mm-hmm. And so you're now choosing your response to your child because you've been able to create that space. And that, that choice that you make is so much more likely to be grounded in your values as a parent. Right. And this is um, a little bit of a nod to between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space mm-hmm. is our power to choose our response. Viktor Frankl, yeah. I love that quote. Um, and as you're talking, this is, uh, it, it kept pinging that quote for me. And the word power to, or the words power to choose, I think, mm-hmm. are so spectacular inside parenting because a lot of the times as we parent, <laughs> we feel like they're, what choice did I have? They did this. Yeah. And so I had to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that reactivity is is what creates those um, moments where we feel shame or guilt about how we reacted. Um, and so if we can if we can create that space and then choose, choose a response that is honoring of our child and of ourselves, 
there is so much power there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you've absolutely got it. Um, yeah, that's the the idea of of making the choice is mm-hmm. um, incredibly profound. And yeah, I think that parents who may be listening to this thinking, okay, yeah, I, I can do that. I, I can focus on creating a space. And uh, particularly when you're you hear something on a podcast episode once, <laughs> you you start to put it into practice, and you're thinking, okay, I know better than this. I I, I heard it on this podcast, and I know that I'm going to do it, and I'm going to focus on lengthening this the space between my child's behavior and my reaction. Mm-hmm. And now that I understand that cognitively, I should be able to do it. And and when they don't when they fail the next time uh, there's this incredible uh, sense of shame again and and a, a feeling of like well why can't I just do better if, if I know this information why can't I just do it better this doesn't work this isn't working for me mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm beating myself up and and what I invite parents to do is to bring a sense of self-compassion to this um, you learned these patterns a long time ago <laughs> they mm-hmm. have been with you present mm-hmm. in your life for a very long time maybe they've been dormant for a while because you haven't had a child who has been doing these behaviors that push your buttons Mm -hmm. and now you do and here we are um but but this is this is not something that just popped up today or yesterday this has been with you for a long time and it's going to take a while to change that habit and if we can bring to it this sense of self-compassion where we can see that yes i i messed up about this on this today and because it happened because I'm human and because we're all human, we all mess up. (laughs) And so there's nothing bad about me or there's nothing wrong about me. That means that this is never going to work or I can't do this or whatever the message is that the parent is telling themselves when they're beating themselves up in their head. Mm -hmm. But that if I, if I keep focusing on this and I keep working on this with the right support, I can affect a change. And, and the parents who have been through this workshop, I mean, I've had parents say, you know, things like, I can't tell you how much weight this is lifted off my shoulders or I wish there was a way to fully convey the value that parents are going to get out of this mm-hmm. um, they, they just make shifts that they had no idea that were even affecting their parenting and they see how it's affecting their parenting and they use these tools and then they can be in relationship with their child in a way that's aligned with their values rather than being this constant uh, walking on eggshells of I don't know what my child is going to do next that's going to push my buttons and I can't control my reaction and we're in this sort of constant negative spiral that we're able to get out of that and just really set up a positive spiral of interactions with our children instead. Yeah do you do you think that the getting our children to change the behaviors they're doing. Do you see that as um, a sort of band-aid to a deeper issue that this can kind of unlock? Um, Do you get my question? As you're talking, I'm thinking, I want to shift my mindset to be grateful for these triggers because it's teaching me a long-term healing of, of my own Mm-hmm. Um, reactivity, and if we're focusing only on our our child's behavior, and you know the say please and thank you, and mm-hmm. those things we're demanding of them, it's almost uh, like a band aid, and eventually something's going to to 
erupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really is because you haven't addressed the underlying source and and maybe, you know, glitter on the floor is the right. <laughs> is the thing for you today. And and you can uh, there are things you can do. You can put the glitter out of reach. You can make sure that only a small amount of glitter is available at any one time. Um, all of those things can help in the situation, but none of this is actually fixing the real issue. And and your child will go on and will do other things that push your buttons. Um, and as they they grow over time, it's going to hit on other things that you you can't even see now right. <laughs> to be difficult <laughs> for you. And if we don't. Uh, understand where this is coming from and take steps to address this in ourselves, which can feel so overwhelming to a parent, I think it would be, it seems like it should be easier to just get our child to change their behavior. But, you know, if do we want to be living in this way where where we do feel like we're walking on eggshells, where we are in this chronic state of arousal, waiting for the shoe to drop that's going to make us snap the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't want to be in that state, we can take steps to change that and that that can just have the most profound implications for the way that we can show up in our relationship with our children. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jen, I we're coming to the end of our time here, but I would like you to just break down a little bit of um, the medium of your course. So mm-hmm. as people look into it, they can understand how they'll be able to use it. Sure. Yeah. So it's a 10 week workshop and the course content is delivered on a brand new custom made learning platform, which is beautiful. And so once a week on Mondays, you get an email from me that sort of provides a a short synopsis of what we're going to be covering that week and Mm -hmm. and log into our learning platform and see the rest of it. And it's not a massive amount of content. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of a a five minute skim and then some homework. And the homework is to allow you to dig deeper into the ideas that are uh, raised in the content so that you can actually start to make changes for yourself. Mm. Um, We have a discussion group that is not based on Facebook. (laughs) It's a non-Facebook platform. So for anyone who's listening who's not on Facebook, you are more than welcome to come along and you will be able to participate. And we'll have all kinds of interactions in there, including things like uh, accountability, partners because as you're working through this it's really easy to get derailed to think um to sort of you're you're almost trying to protect yourself in a way it's like this is hard I don't want to touch this (laughs) I signed up for this and I really want the benefits but I I I can't think about my mother right now it's (laughs) it's just too difficult whereas if you're working through it with a partner you can uh be accountable to each other and you can say uh you know what I'm really struggling with this and and maybe you'll have a weekly call with your accountability partner this is this would be entirely up to you and, and your partner to set this up um, where, where you can talk about what's going on for you in this homework. Why am I putting this off? Is your partner putting it off? How did they decide to uh, overcome that feeling? And uh, so that you can kind of keep each other on track. 
And uh, and so what we we find is that the parents who work through this and who stick with it and who watch the the videos that are up in the learning platform as well that sort of dive a little bit deeper into some of the content from the the module um, really are able to uh, shift the way that they interact with their children that they're no longer coming from this place of reaction in a moment to uh, having concrete tools that they can use to understand okay why is my child doing this what kind of need are they trying to meet and how can I help them to meet that need and also I as a parent have needs right. <laughs> how can I understand what those are and how can I get those met as well in in my interactions with my child as you're talking I just feel myself taking a few more breaths and <laughs> feeling a little bit of space and so much inspiration I think this will be interesting and helpful to so many of our listeners we get questions about being triggered by certain actions our kids are um, doing often. So I'm so grateful we could talk to you, Jen. Um, so we ask every person that we interview something that is a habit that they've been doing that is a game changer in their life. And I didn't prep you for this question, so I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have something lately that is bringing a little more magic into your life? You know, I actually I can give an example of that, um, and it's sort of relevant to this topic. Okay. Uh, I so I obviously run the podcast work from home, and my daughter uh, would <laughs> come come down to the bedroom where I was shut away, trying to get work done, continually, <laughs> because she needed food, even though she'd walked past my husband who could have got her food, who was closer to the kitchen, <laughs> um, because she she wanted connection with me. And so I was, this was not technically triggering for me, but it, I was definitely feeling uh, anxiety around this. And it mm -hmm. got to the point where she would come down to the bathroom, which is right next to our bedroom. And I'd be shouting out the door, don't come in here. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, it wasn't working. Uh, I felt as though I had this need for, um, for, time to be absolutely quiet to be able to be deep in thought for extended periods of time and what i realized was actually that was not a necessity but i i couldn't be interrupted continually with these requests and so we we've made a new habit where i spend the bulk of each afternoon sitting in a deck chair in our driveway working <laughs> <laughs> and she is exploring she's uh turning over rocks in our front yard and when the neighbors are done with zoom school she is running around the neighborhood with them and uh, i am able to be much more productive in that environment even though technically i'm sort of supervising not only her but the neighbor's kids as well right. <laughs> um because they are mostly entertaining themselves she comes over every once in a while and shows me a salamander that she caught or something <laughs> like that um and but because it's not this constant okay how do i get her out of the bedroom as fast as i can <laughs> that i can relax and 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 be more productive in work than I otherwise would be able to. And so that has been a new habit we've had for a few months now, and it's been uh, transformational. Oh, I love that. And it brings in the element of nature. I find that yeah. that really helps. So I, I homeschool my kids, and I know you homeschool as well. Mm -hmm. And when we just move outside, we can be doing the exact same thing as we were inside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but when we just move outside, their attention is all of a sudden – um, captured in a way that 
it never would be inside. And yeah. so I love that. That's such a beautiful example. I'm going to do that when I'm working. <laughs> yeah. And it, it seems as though we, we, we have these kind of strategies to meet our need. And the strategy I was using to, was to be shut myself in the bedroom to mm-hmm. meet the need of, you know, I feel like I, I have to have this, um, this time alone when actually the strategy wasn't working and <laughs> I can change my strategy and use a different strategy. And I'm still meeting my need to, uh, to produce quality work. Um, but in a different way that that hadn't previously occurred to me and it actually meets her needs for connection as well exactly i love that all right well thank you jen for that amazing example when i put you on the spot and for (laughs) (laughs) for everything you shared today and helping us find more magic in our parenting Brown cows. <laughs>